0: Facebook personality. <laughs> I spend a lot of time on Facebook yeah, and YouTube. You guys already know me. Let me get my drinks. Cool. How is everybody? Good. I'm really good. <laughs> that was so good. I love it when Jesus shows up. Oh. Let me just get this set up here. We, uh, as many of you know, I'm part of a band, a couple bands. And uh, our band, the Smith Hawks, consists of me, Sam Crabtree, Glenn Yoder, and Patrick Schaffner. Um, we went up to Cincinnati last night to play uh, Battle of the Bands up there. And there's a pretty big prize for that. But. We figured out oh, three and a half hours. It's not super far. So we get down there about midnight. And uh, we get on the road. And we have a rental car. And the back tire goes flat on the interstate. Like right as we get on the interstate in Cincinnati. Awesome. <laughs> so we... Uh, I forgot my phone. Um, so we change the tire and put a donut on it. And you can only go so fast on a donut. So we got back about... I got into my apartment about 6 a.m. this morning. <laughs> yeah. But it's worth it. <laughs> Maybe. Um, <clears throat> i say all that to say, tonight we're going to be talking about um, the sacred-secular split. If you don't know what that is, we're going to talk about it. I'm going to explain it. Awesome. Um, but I'm going to give you a little bit of a background Kind of where I'm from on this issue. Um, from birth until about ten years old, the only thing I ever heard, the only thing I ever heard, the only thing I ever heard was southern gospel. <laughs> My dad was part of a southern gospel, several southern gospel quartets, and um, the most successful of which was the Valley Creek Boys. Was the name of the band. <laughs> Most Southern Gospel uh, quartets sing to tapes. Like, you know, they put it in tape player, sound guy presses play, and they sing. Um, and they're not called concerts. They're called singings with Southern Gospel. Um, but the Valley Creek Boys, uh, they had a live band. So they had, like, you know, bass, guitar. They had this, like, crazy piano player guy. If anybody has ever listened to Southern Gospel or seen it, their piano players are insane. <laughs> like, this guy was really good. Um, but the guy that my eyes were glued on all the time was the drummer. It was incredible. Like he blew me away. And, uh, I loved to watch him drum as far back as I can remember. I was sitting in a church pew watching this guy drum. And, uh, as a kid, like mom and dad said, I don't remember this, but mom and dad said that I thought the drums were the sticks themselves. I thought That's what drums were. And so I called them two drums. It's like, Mom and Dad, I'm going to get the two drums and play them in church. And that's what happened. <laughs> that's what happened. Ever since I was 12, I've been playing drums in church. Um, my dad, we eventually, um, we were traveling from church to church. Every Sunday morning, we are in a different church, because um, that's just kind of how it goes with Southern gospel bands. Like, people, churches are always calling for, like, homecomings and revivals and things like that. And uh, so, we're all, I was always in a church pew. But when I was about 11 years old, we decided, or my parents decided, that we were going to find a church, stop going around, and just settle down. So we found a church in uh, E-Town, and my dad quickly became the uh, music minister there and started up a Sunday morning team where they were doing contemporary worship, and that was new to me. Like, what is this? This doesn't sound like Southern Gospel. There aren't like 10 harmonies going on. What? And, uh, (laughs) yeah. Um, And... Yeah, he started that up, and then I was on the youth team. There was a youth team that led on Wednesday nights, and I was singing. And I was 12 years old at this point, point. and our drummer never showed up. Like, he would just never show up. And during, well, as I was a kid, I would watch the drummer, Southern Gospel drummer. His name was Jerry, um, and I would always, like, mimic what he was doing on my lap. And uh, never touched a drum. He would always give me his sticks, and I would take them and be on my lap and stuff in the house, and then the drummer never showed up for our youth band, and so I begged my dad one night that he didn't show up, please let me play, please let me play, I can do it, after a long, I begged him for about half an hour until he's like, all right, whatever, fine, it's better than nothing, and so I beat out a very basic, the whole time, that's all it was, no fills, no cymbal hits, just that, the whole time, and that's how it started, um, And so I learned there, like I kept progressing and uh, decided to get involved in band at school and learn how to read music and rudiments and all that, got into drum line. And then as I got into drum line, um, we did indoor drum line. I don't know if any of you guys know what that is, but indoor drum line is just the drum line in the pit. And the pit's like xylophones, uh, keys, stuff like that. And uh, got into indoor line, learned how to read music, and our drum instructor was a huge Rush fan. Does anybody know who Rush is, the band? He was a huge Rush fan. And up until this point, all I've heard is Southern Gospel and contemporary Christian music. And he was like, here, pop this in your CD player. I'm like, okay. And Neil Peart is the drummer for Rush. And this guy was like crazy. He blew my mind. I was like, this is nuts. I didn't know you could do this on the drums. And so I took it home for weeks. Like, I put it in my CD player. I sat on my couch, and I practiced this stuff on my lap. One thing that's great about drums—you don't have to have drums to learn how to play drums. <laughs> you don't have to have them. Um, so, anyways, yeah, I got into Rush, and then, but when he gave me the Rush CD, this is where this whole secular sacred deal came. Uh, this this question really surfaced, and I actually really struggled with it for a long time. Um, what I mean by secular, sacred, we'll just call it Christian and non-Christian. In terms of music, the music industry, you've got secular music, and you've got Christian music. Christian music would be Michael W. Smith, whatever. Um, secular music, you'd say Kings of Leon, Coldplay, Lady Gaga, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and growing up, like, it was... Kind of bad to listen to that stuff, um, and so I really had to answer this question kind of early, and struggled with it, especially in the Bible Belt. Here, we we kind of live in that reality that there are two separate things. There's your Christian stuff; it doesn't have to be music; it can be art; it can be uh, circles that you run in, and then your secular stuff, like whatever. Um, but I think it's incredibly important that we address this because if we don't, if we don't address this, uh, divide, this duality, I think is the word between secular and Christian stuff, like if we don't address this, we end up compartmentalizing our lives. We end up living two really work, like this is what it would look like work. There's not really any Christians there. I work for a secular boss. He doesn't know Jesus. We sell vacations, or whatever you sell. We make food. We whatever. It's not Christian. This is my secular world. And then church. That's more spiritual. That that's where your spirit goes to get fed. To get fed. Um, and so we like we divide these two up. And then it, it even gets. Even more than that, um, it gets more meticulous without us even realizing it. Like time with our family. Sitting on your couch with your kids, bowl of popcorn, watching Toy Story. It's a lot of fun. And God likes it. But it's really easy to say, oh, it's a secular movie. We're just hanging out. There's nothing spiritual about this at all. And so that becomes less important like the more spiritual that we want to get, these things become less and less and less important. In um, this whole thing, this whole series has been on creativity. I don't even know what time I started. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> this whole uh, series we've been doing on creativity, this definitely ties in. Um, but in Genesis chapter 1, let's just start there. Genesis chapter 1, the very first sentence in the Bible gives us really the very first revelation on who God is. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's a creator. He's creative. Have any of you ever looked at pictures like space photographs? Let's just call them that. Out in the galaxy? Out in the universe? Billions and billions of galaxies. And in our one galaxy, we have billions and billions of stars. It's it's mind-blowing, and it's really, really hard to comprehend. Um, there's a great series called How the Universe Works. You should watch it. It's on Netflix. You can stream it. Um, <laughs> but God is a creator. He's incredibly creative. He likes creativity, and he created. <laughs> um, he created everything. He created our bodies, our minds, and our spirits, which are all mashed up together. And you really can't say where one ends and the other begins, which makes it really uh, difficult to rationalize. Okay, why have we split up our, our uh, physical, secular lives from our sacred, spiritual lives, our, our Christian stuff? Why have we split that up? Where did that come from? We won't get into where it come from, where it came from, because that can take forever. <coughs> But he created everything, these purple chairs that you sit in. Everybody knows you can't create matter and you can't destroy matter. You can turn matter into energy, but you can't destroy it. You can't create it either. So the stuff these purple chairs are made out of has been here from the beginning of time. That's fun. The coffee cup that you drink your coffee out of that you think got made like three months ago in some factory, the materials for that have been here from the beginning of time. That's crazy. And it's a lot of fun to think about. (laughs) It makes everything ancient. Um, But there's a parallel story to Genesis chapter 1 in John 1 in the New Testament. Hannah, you want to go ahead and put that up? John chapter 1. In the beginning, I'm just going to read it from here because I might have something different. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Okay, there it is again. These chairs have been made. You have been made. Your glasses have been made. Your beanie has been made. And I like beanies. I like glasses too. <laughs> um, but then in verse 14 of this chapter, verse 14, there's an incredibly important Incredibly important, very, very, very deep little sentence. Uh, if you want to go ahead and put that up. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. <sighs> the word became flesh, which is incredibly significant on a lot of levels. But the level that we're going to talk about it is. Um, this divide between our physical bodies, our secular and our spiritual lives and our sacred. Okay. Jesus never taught or modeled secular divided from sacred. He never taught it. He never modeled it. Jesus and Jesus is the word of God. He's the word of God. Everything that comes out of his mouth, everything that he ever did, everything that he does, And is going to do is the word of God. It's authoritative. That's it. And he never taught a division. Between secular and sacred. Not once. Never. Where do we get this teaching? Like where did we get this dichotomy? Where did this come from? And actually I think to teach this. um, Is a couple different attempts. It's an attempt to shield ourselves, but can also become an attempt to be holier than Jesus, which is really, really dangerous. It's adding to his teaching. It's saying, oh, Jesus didn't address this. In our modern times, with all this stuff, we really need to talk about it. So we're just going to tag that on. Um, Yeah, that's just the warning for the night. It's dangerous. Thousands and thousands of priceless pieces of art and literature have been burned and destroyed in the name of sacredness. Which really stings. <laughs> um, but to kind of explain this point a little better. Um, that, that life is not divided between secular and sacred. Between physical and spiritual. This divide really does not exist and should not exist. And we shouldn't divide it up in our minds this way. Um, Think about architecture. Just follow me here. (laughs) Think about architecture. Okay, buildings. Um, Some people, including me, would call it art. It can be art. It can be really good and it can be really bad. (laughs) It can be really beautiful and lovely or it can be really ugly and gross and an eyesore. But either way... um, It's an invention of man. In the beginning, if you look in the beginning of the Bible, when God put Adam and Eve in the garden, there were no cities. There were no buildings. There's just Adam and Eve in a garden. And as you progress, you see, like, these guys who are nomads who go from place to place, and they have tents. And then when they learn to, to plow the ground and to grow crops, they can stay in one spot. And so they make little huts, which become buildings, which become cities. And all these people live there. Okay, so we can all agree that over time, man invented a way to, all, to live in one spot, in buildings. And now there are buildings everywhere. Um, but in the beginning of the Bible, there are no buildings. Okay? At the end of the Bible, in the very last book, with John, the revelation that he gets, he sees a city in heaven, the kingdom of God, coming to earth. Where there were no cities, man invented them. Now an invention of man has been implemented in heaven. This is huge. (laughs) Something that a guy came up with has been implemented in heaven. Now whether God put the idea in the guy's head or whether the guy came up with it himself, it's really irrelevant. Man made something and it was implemented in heaven. What we do here is incredibly important and everything that we do is spiritual. Everything. It's incredibly important and it's really encouraging. And it's sobering and it's good. It's a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, what we do here matters. <clears throat> and you might say like with this with this secular sacred split, like I would say It shouldn't exist, and it doesn't exist in the Bible. But um, you can make the argument, and I agree with this argument, that, well, there are some songs that are bad for you that you shouldn't listen to. Or there are some pictures that are bad for you that you shouldn't look at. Or there are some paintings that are bad for you you shouldn't look at. Or there are some buildings that are bad for you and you shouldn't go into. Those are condemned, usually. (laughs) (laughs) Usually. (laughs) Um, Yes, obviously. Okay. Okay. Um, But is the reason they're bad for you because they're not Christian? Just think about that for a second. Is the reason that something is bad for you because they're not Christian? I'm going to read two different song lyrics here, okay? And you tell me if they're Christian or not. One is and one isn't. Or one is classified as Christian and one is not. Here's the first one. It's eating me away. It's rotting in my mind. It's like a cancer. Is there anything, anything at all to numb the nothingness? I need a reason to breathe. It's eating me away. Save me from my rage and my humanity. I'm more nothing than being. Is this my legacy? Feel it eating me away. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we want to puke. Okay. Number two. And some of you guys may, may know this song. I'm sure that you do. I'm sure you guys might. <laughs> we are stardust. We are golden. And we've got to get ourselves back to the garden. Garden of Eden. I've come here to lose the smog. I feel like I'm a cog in something turning round and round. Maybe it's just the time of year. Maybe it's the time of man. I don't know who I am, but life is for learning. Now, the first one that we read is the Christian lyrics by Skillet. Everybody know that band? <laughs> yeah, those are the Christian lyrics. Dude, if you guys could just just hear like five seconds of this song. <laughs> oh, that's how he sings it. It's awful. It's terrible. It, it hurts to listen to. And it's just bad. It's just bad. Like it's bad music. It's it's and it's it's dark. But are the second lyrics bad for you or bad for your soul because they weren't written by a Christian? Yes. <laughs> Seth would say yes. <laughs> I have been unsuccessful. <laughs> Seth would say yes. But the second the second set of lyrics were written by a secular artist. Anybody know who? Johnny Mitchell. Yeah, well, several several people have done it, but I think she's the one that wrote it. Yeah, in Woodstock. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for yes. <laughs> um, but uh, is the second set of lyrics are the second set of lyrics bad for your soul because they aren't written by a Christian, or are the first set of lyrics good for you because they are? I would definitely argue not. <laughs> Because if you listen, I promise, because I did it for a while. Sorry. If you listen to the first set of lyrics too long, you will start to feel really depressed and worthless. Yeah, there you did it. Rock and roll, Hall of Fame, 25th anniversary. Bam. It was so good. All right. (laughs) Life itself is sacred. Life itself is sacred. Now, I'm not talking about just like, that guy's alive. Like the, the, the uh, state of being is sacred. I'm talking about, yeah, that, but living life is sacred. Living life is sacred. The joy, the struggle, the grit, the beauty, the mundane, it's all sacred. It's all spiritual. It all matters. All of it. Um, I think I'm, yeah. It all matters. There's not this divide, and there shouldn't be this divide. And the divide really causes more arguments and causes more um, hurt and divisions between people than anything. And a lot of really beautiful stuff gets destroyed. And a lot of really ugly, just bad stuff gets preserved. Um, and that... Why? Why is beauty significant? Uh, Philippians four eight. If you want to go ahead and put that up, Philippians four eight is such is such a good description of what we should value and what we should strive for in our art, in our creation, and just in life, in our everyday. What do we What do we value? What do we think about? What matters? Finally, brothers and sisters. Oh, wait a minute. Four eight. One, four, eight. Four, four, 4 8. Chapter 4 8. I'll just read it from here. It's okay. You're fine. You've done great so far. One mess up can be forgiven. 4 8. <laughs> four, eight. Yeah. Yeah, here we go. Finally, brothers and sisters. Now, notice. There is no um, disclaimer that says all of this only applies to what is uh, put out by a Christian. It doesn't apply to what is secular. It doesn't apply to fleshly stuff. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything, is excellent or praiseworthy. Think about such things. Whatever is true, whatever is noble. Like, it's easy to see whatever, like, true and noble and right and pure. Yeah, the gospel is definitely that stuff. (laughs) And stuff that is this stuff lines up with this stuff. Okay, um... One of the playlists that we have back there on the computer, or what we used to call it, I guess, when it started, was the kingdom of God shows up outside of church. We're made in the image of God. We inevitably create stuff out of that would come from his heart. Oh, I to put that back up. Sorry. Um, yeah, just one more time. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Such a good verse. I love it. Man, I love it. Huh? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. A lot. (laughs) Um, Do we have a ministry team? tonight Nate and Seth and Tess can you guys come up can you guys be the ministry team I'm gonna speak something over you guys I have your permission you just want to close your eyes or not close your eyes but close your eyes please and just yeah just kind of take it in You have permission to create lovely, beautiful things because your creations are spiritual and they matter. You have permission to depict the truth and throw light on your surroundings. You have permission to operate admirably in your work because your work is spiritual and it is not vanity. You have permission and the ability to be excellent in whatever you do because you are connected to the Creator and because the way that you do it is spiritual and it is not vanity. You have permission to be a noble father, a noble mother, a noble son, a noble daughter, and it is not vanity. And you have permission to think about and dwell on All of the above, whether it's categorized by marketers as Christian or not, because these things are spiritual and all these things are gifts from your father. He loves you. He's made you a creator yourself. Father, I ask that. um, Father, that you would come. and that you would spring up wells of creativity and that you would spring up wells of excitement about creativity and ideas, whether it's the art or entrepreneurship or how to parent, or how to be good to your parents, how to do your job well. Father, would you spring up wells of creativity in every single person in the room? And Father, the the gates that the current society, especially the Bible Belt Society, has put around people's minds and creativity, Father, I ask that you would shine truth there and just dissolve the deception that anything that doesn't have a Christian label smacked on it is... I ask that you would give dreams and visions, creative dreams and visions to each person in the room. Father, just help each person move in their calling to a greater degree. Because they know that their father is the most creative being in existence.